0: At the same time that college has become more important, it's become so much more expensive and
1: complicated. Are than it down used to be
2: across and the board, for the lucky few who do get in, however, costs are going up. Three thousand dollars a year—that's a quarter of a million dollars to complete his undergraduate education. Welcome to Mud Season, a podcast that wades into the Vermont laboratory and helps cut through the mud by drawing from original research. This podcast is brought to you by the Center of Research on Vermont, examining Vermont's social, cultural, economic, and physical environment since 1974. Join us as we use the Laboratory of Vermont to deepen our understanding of the world around us. In this episode, we will be addressing the increasing tuition costs that many students face today.
1: My name is Beth Mintz. I'm a professor emerita at the University of Vermont.
2: Um, Okay, so
0: study many things, but we're going to focus on this college tuition. Why does college cost so much? I know you think about it in a variety of ways. Why don't you take us through? Why does college cost so much?
1: Well, first and foremost, probably the most most important thing is that college is very labor-intensive. And not only is it labor-intensive, but uh, the labor force in your typical college or university, very, very highly educated. That's not only the faculty, but schools are full of administrators and professionals that are very highly trained and highly qualified, and that takes its toll financially.
0: Okay, so we have an expensive labor force. And now, moving on, another reason that I know you've written about has to do with tuition discounting.
1: Tuition discounting, I think the larger, um, the larger framework that I've been thinking about vis-a-vis tuition discounting is marketization, and that is in this particular historical moment, colleges and universities are forced to compete for students, and the competition for students, which we call marketization, has um, it's a very, very expensive undertaking. Tuition discounting. Tuition discounting is about institutional financial aid. What started as a vehicle for um, helping low income kids get to college, that is institutional financial aid, over the years has morphed into a vehicle for recruiting highly capable and high, high achieving students in a process that ultimately is extremely costly for the university. The way it works is that schools are very, very interested in maxing out the number of high-achieving students because the more high-achieving students an institution has, the more attractive it is to students in general. One way of gaming the system, if you will, vis-a-vis recruiting high-achievers, is to buy them. And what schools systematically do these days is... They discount tuition in order to capture the, the most highly, higher, the most high achieving students that they possibly can. One of the downsides, there are a number of downsides to this. One of the downsides to this is that that sticker price that we see, the one that's really, really terrifying that tells us that we can't possibly, possibly afford a particular institution. Well, very, very few people actually pay that amount. And right now, what schools do is they compete in terms of sticker price, discounting that sticker price to attract the most qualified students they possibly can. So the reason there's a downside to this is because schools are forced to continue tuition discounting and they're competing with others in terms of how much money they can take off that sticker price to recruit a particular class.
0: So take us through uh, UVM, for example. UVM tuition is 36000 maybe for an out-of-state student. Um, how, how, how much does UVM need to discount? How much does UVM need to give away to attract the class of students that they want?
1: In general, I think it it might be interesting to people to distinguish between what private colleges and universities do and what the publics do. And everybody tuition discounts. The privates do so more than the publics. If I remember correctly, something like 86% of undergraduates at the University of Vermont have some type of tuition discounting. The numbers are much smaller, not in percentage wise, but uh, the dollar amount much smaller in the public's and the privates. But if you talk to President Sullivan, if you talk to our provost, if you talk to our chief financial officer and ask them the biggest financial problem that they face in the contemporary world, they will tell you tuition discounting.
2: According to the U.S. News and World Report, the average cost of tuition and fees for the 2017-2018 school year was $34,699 at private colleges, $9,528 for state students at public colleges, and $21,632 for out-of-state students at state schools. The University of Vermont, at roughly $36,000 for out-of-state students, can attribute much of that cost to tuition discounting.
1: Because the problem is that with tuition discounting, once institutions are competing for the same kids with the same method, it's who can buy them, who can go lower and lower and lower. Worse still is that once the practice has been institutionalized and everybody does it, there's no way of drawing back from it. So it will continue. What's killing the University of Vermont? One thing in particular, and that's tuition discounting.
0: And to sort of labor this point, US News and World Report ranks colleges and universities. It's really important for University of Vermont to score high in that ranking. Part of that ranking is based on the average SAT scores or other scores, and so it's essential that you attract, as a university administrator would see it, it's essential that you attract the students who will help you score well on that, is that right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and what's incredible what's just incredible is the, the import that the U.S. News and World Report rankings have, that some institutions game the system that is work specifically to maximize their rankings on U.S. News and World Report listings. They r- r- maximize it in any way they can. Indeed, SAT scores, very, very important, crucially important, And what's behind tuition discounting these days is a mechanism for recruiting the highest achieving students possible as a component of increasing scores on the U.S. News and World Report listings.
0: And one unintended side effect of this that's quite negative, really, is that money that used to be put aside by a university for the students from lower income Lower socioeconomic is now being more tied up with money that's now being spent on the higher achieving students who sometimes you can explain this better, who but who tend to come from households that can actually afford. Can you take me through that? Explain that, sure,
1: absolutely. Um, SAT scores, SAT scores, let me back up a minute. Although some institutions, very, very few, but some institutions. Some institutions are moving away from SAT scores as a major component in recruitment. Over the years, SAT scores have become more and more important rather than less important, particularly for highly selective institutions. SAT scores are strongly correlated with family income. What that means is, in general, the pattern is the higher the family income, the higher the SAT scores. And so if we're recruiting on achievement, especially as measured by SAT scores, what we're doing is we're recruiting typically, on average, affluent kids. So the, the switch from, for financial aid, institutional financial aid, from need-based to merit-based has uh, had an enormous consequence on economic diversity within the academy. I think what I'm about to say is suggestive rather than precise. I think it's over 60% of all institutional financial aid in the United States goes to merit. Under 40% these days go to uh, need-based. So yes, you're absolutely right. One of the downsides of financial aid in addition to how enormously costly it is for the institution is it also works against economic diversity and it also works against racial and ethnic diversity since SAT scores and affluence is also correlated with race.
0: Let's turn to another one that you've documented, and that has to do with the growth of amenities at colleges and universities. Can you talk about that for a minute?
1: Yeah, amenities and the building spree, I just walked across campus, and I couldn't find a place that wasn't fenced off and under construction. What's happened over the years is that amenities ranging from from really, really cool, cool and beautiful dormitories to gorgeous dining halls and what's uh, iconic now although very inexpensive is a climbing wall every university needs a climbing wall but we could well well very well afford climbing walls but these new very very comfortable very very attractive dormitories are quite expensive these days in addition to those types of amenities There's an enormous building boom on campus for uh, academic units, especially STEM complexes. So um, many, many, many schools are building very, very expensive and very, very well-fitted STEM complexes like the University of Vermont. And this is part of a larger building undertaking, construction undertaking, i.e. construction boom, that's designed to recruit students. Now, one of the interesting things about the dormitory as as the example, um, there's um, a a couple of economists from William and Mary who have written extensively on on higher ed and why higher ed is most expensive. Their names are Archibald and Feldman. And what they write vis-a-vis dining experiences and dorms in particular is that, well, this generation is used to much more affluent living than previous generations. What's so really interesting about that is this generation may be used to it, but not all of the generation. Perhaps the more affluent segment of that generation, that same segment that's being recruited by tuition discounting and the like, may fit for that, but step back, and we have to ask the question, well, if we're used to gracious living, to whom? are we targeting number one? And how much are students paying for that graciousness?
0: Another thing you've written about is the decline of public investment in education. So this commitment on the part of society to education. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Oh yeah, certainly, certainly. So um, this idea of well let, let me let me start again so for a, for many 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 decades there's been a, a tension an important tension between education viewed as a public good and education viewed as a private good education is a public good the higher educated a population the more productive that co- population will be that a highly educated population will raise all ships everybody will do better education is a public good a quick aside to that the other thing that's been written about extensively about public education uh education is a public good is the idea that a highly educated population will be able to assess the political discourse in a in a much more competent way so education is a public good. Two things. The thing that's getting a lot of attention in terms of cost is this idea that more we educate, the better off everyone will be. But this idea that an educated population is necessary for democracy, that's not a trivial point at all. Other side of the tension, if you will, education is a private good. There's, <laughs> in spite of the publicity that higher education is not worth the money the I think the empirical evidence is unequivocal that college pays it pays in on the individual level so the idea that college does pay and indeed it does suggests that education may be a private good and by that what I'm thinking about and what the literature thinks about is that those who profit individually from their education should pay for it. So there's been this tension, again, going back for a very, very long time, tension between education as a public good, raise all ships, education as a private good, you profit from it, you pay for it. And in recent years, I believe that the dominance of the private good has really won that it's flipped. And we see this, we see it very, very clearly in disinvestment of public education on the level of the 50 states. And Vermont has always been at the very, very bottom of of the list in terms of public financing of higher education. But other states are at risk of catching up with our underinvestment and so this idea of education as a private good is an ideological uh, foundation and reason for states to disinvest in their higher educational facilities.
0: One solution you've talked about is the free education, that what Bernie Sanders has proposed. Why is that a solution?
1: Oh, free education. Free education, it would, um, it would return financing of higher education to the community rather than the individual. It would be a shared cost like K through 12. And, and that way, anybody who is qualified to attend, which is itself a tricky question to be addressed as, um, as this debate unfolds. But the other thing about it that's pretty interesting, I think, is that free public education is the first thing that has come along in a long time that would actually depress tuition on all levels rather than encourage in tuition to increase.
0: Why does it depress? So why does it serve as an incentive to decrease tuition?
1: Well, what right now what's happened, New York State, New York State has started the process and what uh, the public's uh, private, private nonprofit colleges and universities in New York State have experienced is a decrease in applications and how do you fight against a decrease in applications well tuition discounting might be an answer but same thing what it does is it depresses
0: Um, the average debt that students have is that that is that stuff that you look at like oh more and more students owe money
1: more and more students do owe money, but look, I went to school K through PhD for free. And I went to school in a time, my undergraduate, I went to the City College of New York. At that time, it was a sterling institution. It was free to anyone who lived in New York, and it, And I went on to graduate school with a full scholarship not because I was so brilliant. I mean, I was smart enough, surely. But this is how education was financed. Yeah, and so at debt. Yeah, kids are coming out with debt that I did not have. Absolutely. But it's much more complicated than the narrative that we get in reading, reading the New York Times, for example. That number one, sticker price, return to tuition discounting. A bit of an overstatement, but nobody pays sticker price anymore. But when we look at debt more generally, for-profit colleges and universities, their practices alone explain a very, very large part of the enormous, the enormous amount of money that undergraduates own. Somebody in this room is talking about $10,000. I mean, $10,000 in student debt, I didn't have to pay that. And so I'm very, very sympathetic. But if you go back to the argument that those who profit from should pay, then $10,000 in terms of what you get, even if you're a liberal arts major, $10,000 in terms of what you'll get in terms of potential earnings. It's it's not a lot of money. I'm sorry that you have debt. It's not an argument for debt, but when we take apart the narrative, I think that the debt problem will be much is much much smaller. And I have to repeat this: for-profit for institutions. That's where the debt is just horrible, especially for the majority of folks who borrow money and never end up with a degree. So debt, it's not a good thing, but it's not this enormous, enormous thing that um, that we might think.